Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. One of the areas we have the most questions about is the topic of identity. In many ways, it's the central struggle of every human life. At some point, we all ask the question, who am I created to be? We're in a series based on a book by pastor and author Jeff Little that explores this very question. Join us for this six-week series entitled, Who Am I? And be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. There you can find all our video messages as well as exclusive content that you can't find anywhere else. Now, let's get into this week's message. Hey, so we're kicking off a new series today. It's called, Who Am I? This series is on one of the deepest questions of the human heart. Every single one of us wants to know, why are we here? What is God doing with us? Why did he create us? What is our point for being here? But as we start this new series, I want to point out how important it is that we get together in small groups and talk about this. You you just heard a little bit of a commercial for this. Uh, If you were here last week, we talked about our vision as a church and, and just took a time to talk about who we are. And one of the things that we believe we're supposed to be and one of our biggest values is we're a family. Uh, This is what we're, we're as brothers and sisters, we're children of God together and we want to be family. But if you look around the room right now, just, just look seriously at the size of this. Can you talk to everybody here? No, it's not possible. So I want you to think of this kind of like the family reunion. You ever go to a family reunion, you got all these tables set up and picnic everywhere and all the people over there got the apple pie first. So everybody over here is angry at them. So, cause they had to have the pecan pie, South Carolina's pecan, yep, pecan pie over here for you guys and a little bit of fried chicken. And that, you know, that's just, that's kind of the idea. And at some point somebody gets up and talks about the, the family and what's going on. That's what we're doing. We come here and, and, and we just all sit around without the fried chicken and the apple pie. Sorry about that part. We do serve you coffee though. And, and I get up and talk about our heavenly father. This is a family reunion, but we're never going to be able to, in this room, really sit down and look someone in the eyes and say, so what's going on in your life? And so that's why we do this. Even as a family, you think about this, we get together in our living rooms, in our dining rooms, and you might, it might be your first cousins or your favorite aunt, just, just your immediate family. And you say, Let, let's talk about what God is doing. So I want to encourage you. We just launched our groups last Wednesday night. They start today. You have not missed anything. You have not missed one meeting. So go on the app, go on the website, uh, talk to somebody in our connection area, get into a who am I group, this book that we're doing. Anybody who goes to the group, you get one of these books, as we've told you throughout the series. Um, We're going to be doing this for six weeks, answering six different who am I questions. And uh, the author of this book, friend of mine, Pastor Jeff Little, will be here for the final part to preach that live. Very excited about that. So we want to help everybody get the most out of this. And you're going to do that by sitting and talking face to face about what God is speaking to you as we do that, right? You guys good? Okay. Well, at least Kent is excited. I don't know about the rest of you. So as I said, Six questions about who am I? Today, we're going to jump into the deep end of the pool. Why start easy? Who wants to start easy? Nobody wants to start easy, right? So we're going to do this one. Who am I when I don't measure up? Ooh, who am I when I don't measure up? You know, from the earliest point in our lives, we begin to evaluate ourselves and compare ourselves to other Come on, parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You just innocently went to the doctor one day with like your four-year-old and you're just, you know, trying to do a little checkup and and they suddenly begin comparing your child to everybody else's child. You you find out there's like this secret thing going on to figure out if you're good enough. And they say something like, your child is in the 99th percentile for height. 
Like, since when has my child's height mattered to anybody else's height? And, and by the way, that's actually true. That happened. We took our, our second born and they told us he was in the 99 percentile for height. I looked at my wife and said, that ain't my fault. Because nobody's ever said that about me. I'm 46 and I'm still trying to get into like the 62nd percentile for height. But we're always comparing ourselves to something. And that's a good thing because if you think about this, we need to know that we're actually where we're supposed to be in. And they do that as children to see if you're growing and you're healthy. But what happens as we keep this evaluation going and these comparisons, we lose sight of what God says. We lose sight of who God thinks we are and we get all caught up in what percentile we're in or what else is going on in our life or, or what the rest of the world thinks about us. Yeah, I heard a stat the other day. Some of you have probably heard this. Uh, did you know, we love looking in mirrors. Did you know that women on average look in a mirror 16 times a day? And men 23. Ah! Yeah, you thought I was going to say like one. 23 times a day. I think most of them are going, is it growing back yet? That's what they're doing. No, I actually think that ladies get all 16 of those in before they ever leave the house. They're just getting ready. They do all 16 getting ready. My, I've got a daughter and a wife, and I'm telling you, every mirror in our house I don't understand why this is. We've got mirrors in our bathroom. There's makeup. There's jewelry there. They do a little something. And then you come downstairs. Our dining room table has makeup and jewelry on it. You know why? Because there's a mirror beside the dining room table. You go out to the foyer. We've got this little place where you're it's supposed to have nothing on it, but there's a little table just big enough for you to have a little plant on it. And it's got like jewelry on it. Why? Because there's a mirror beside it. It's like everywhere that my daughter or my wife walks by, they stop and they do a little something. They do all 16 of those before they leave the house. I think men do all 23 of them at the gym. <laughs> and they're going, yeah, look at you. You look good. Yeah, good. I did that once. I never did it again. <laughs> this is true. I'm not making this up just for you to laugh. I went to the gym and I was working out and I did this, looking in the mirror and I said, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> I noticed three things I did not like noticing. You know, you look in the mirror to impress yourself. This depressed me. Uh, the first thing is this didn't get any bigger when I did that. I was like, that dude over there has got like human growth problems every time he does that. Yeah. He got like a tumor in his arm. Second problem is I noticed I had a round wet spot right here. And it's like my shirt sat on something. That is not cool. And then the worst one of all was the lady beside me in the mirror. Her, her weights were twice as big as mine. I'm not looking in the mirror anymore. I just look at the concrete wall now. Here's what I did. Anyway. Come on, I know y'all with me on this. You see, we used to look at mirrors and magazine covers and that determined everything, but now our world has a whole new thing. It's not just mirrors and magazine covers, it's social media. And there's always this thing of just like, oh, what are we, am I measuring up? Am I good enough for what we see going on? And I'm gonna tell you, I have like this, Hate, hate relationship with social media. I don't do it a lot. Uh, it's funny because people are always commenting on stuff thinking that I'm actually ever going to go back and read that and pay attention. I, I, I don't do that. Just, just so y'all know. And, and so I, I, I can't stand it because I get anxiety. I mean, I'm just telling you absolute truth because I, I hate it so much. I almost never do it. But there's that moment where my wife is on about the 15th glance in the mirror. Now I'm, I'm waiting and I've already been through all of the news apps. I've scrolled to the bottom of that. So I can't read any more news. Then I go to the ESPN app. I've checked every score and I'm finally like, wonder what's going on in so-and-so's world. 
And true story is just as I watch my thumb go from my Instagram app, I seriously begin to feel anxiety right here. And I wonder, why do I put myself through that? Because, you know, here's the, the point. I don't really care when your child has their third tooth. So I probably don't follow that kind of stuff on Instagram. I just offended somebody, didn't I? Okay, well, there, there's going to be an empty parking spot for somebody next week. Anyway, so I follow other pastors. I'm trying to get better at what I do. And if I'm trying to get better at what I do, I follow people who are better than me. And if you spend your whole time on Instagram looking at people who are better than you, you will be depressed. And you will feel like, oh, and so I figured out why I constantly have anxiety because all I'm going to do after about two seconds is start to feel more and more and more like I don't measure up. And I think deep down, every single one of us has some area of life where we just don't think we measure up. Men, all the men in the room, you're driving home from work. You're just going down your street. You've worked hard all day. You just want to get home. But then the devil starts to whisper. You notice your buddy across the street, he's waving at you, and the thought pops into your head. His cars are better than my cars. His house is bigger. They opted for the option in the screened porch and the third car garage little addition sort of thing right there. And, and I took my family to Myrtle Beach last year for four days. He took his family to Disney on a cruise for two weeks. Like, man, I just, just don't measure up. And then you think, let me escape that kind of pressure and feeling like I'm not good enough because I'm going to at least come to church and, and hear something good. But then you feel this pressure to go home and be the spiritual head of your family. And your wife says, honey, why don't we sit down and pray? And, and it's just as bad as everything else going on. And ladies, look, I'm going to tell you, I hear this over and over and over from guys. Many times the, the wife thinks, why won't my husband pray with me? They'll ask me, why doesn't my husband pray with me? And you think it's because he's, he's not godly or he doesn't read his Bible or he doesn't like God at all. And, and there, there are some people that that's where they are, but the majority of your husbands won't pray with you because they think they don't measure up. When I talk to men about it, they say, but she prays better than me. I'd be embarrassed to pray in front of my wife. She's so spiritual. They just think they don't measure up. Women, have, have, you, you've got to have like yoga three times a week. You've got to have the best Pinterest page, right? You've got to have a corn syrup free house with a keto menu written on a chalkboard thing on your wall, all squirrely and pretty for somebody to see when they come in. And then maybe you're a mom on top of that. You've got to be like super mom and your kids have got to be the best kids. They've got to be like prodigies and do everything right. And then you go to a teacher's conference and find out if they're not in the 99th percentile, they're in the 24th in reading and you think you're a failure. How about the people who aren't moms and dads yet? You're trying to figure out how to get out of college or you're out of college and you're trying to get that job and, and be one of the first one of your friends and your little group of friends to get married and, and to pay off those student loans. But now you've got a job you hate. Every one of your friends beat you to the altar and you, you've got student loans you don't know what you're going to do with. Teenagers, we got any teenagers in the room? That was weak. We got any teenagers in the room? Come on, help me out. Does it ever get easy to be a teenager? I mean, gosh, you spend every day waking up. You got to look at Snapchat or Instagram to figure out where you fit in. You got to know exactly what's going on before you get to school only to figure out you're either looking at everybody else's highlight reel or just, we, we all compare ourselves. 
So here's the thing. I want to show us that this is not something new. Actually, I'm going to show you somebody in the Bible who struggled with this either as much as we do or more than we do. It's a guy named Moses. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. That's where we're going to pick it up. But if not, it'll be right here on the screen for you as well. And uh, let me just give you the backstory for those of you that are maybe new to church, new to the Bible, or, or some of you, maybe you've heard of the burning bush. Anybody heard of the burning bush story? Well, that's where we are. And so Moses, at this point, he has wandered off in life. Uh, he's, he's gone away. He's made his own way. And uh, as he's walking along one day, just doing his little shepherd thing, trying to hide from everybody and God, he notices out of the corner of his eye, there is a bush. The bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. And so he goes over to see what's going on, and God begins to speak to him. That's where we're going to pick up the story. It's a long story. It's a great story. We're not going to get to do it all today. I'd love to do a whole series just out of like this, these two chapters. Chapters, but we're just going to get the highlights for today. Here's what God says to him out of that burning bush. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, see that? Who am I? Look at this. We didn't start this, y'all. We're not the first ones to be asking this question. Actually, humanity has been asking this question since the beginning. Who am I? And he specifically goes on to say, who am I when I don't measure up? Who am I that I, I of all the people you have, should be the one to go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? His very first question, when in the middle of God's presence, this burning bush, this amazing miraculous sign, is to think about how inferior he is to say, but who am I? But I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it's a fair question. Because if you don't know the backstory, I'm going to give you the backstory. Moses was born at a time when all of the Israelite babies were being killed. The Pharaoh Egyptian, uh, Egyptian Pharaoh was afraid that one of them was going to be the next king. He had had a, a, a prophecy. Someone spoke to him that, that someone's going to rise up out of these people and they're going to deliver their people. He said, I'll take care of that. I'm going to kill every child two years old and younger. And so Moses gets put in a basket, floated down a river. Every other boy was killed. He was the only one that his mom took a chance. Well, there's a 100% chance if I keep in my arms, he's dead. So we'll just put him in this basket. We'll float him down the river and maybe... Maybe God will do something. And it turns out that, 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 that someone from the Egyptian household came and saw him. Uh, princess, right? Y'all think well, I would know that. I'm, I'm stumbling over myself here. And so she sees him and she takes him and she raises him as her own. And so here's the problem. One day Moses decides that he's going to go out among the people. He sees some Egyptians not treating people well, so he kills one. Then the next day he goes out and he's talking to one of the Israelites thinking they're going to see him as a hero. I just defended you. And, and then they pick on him for what he just did and ask if he's going to kill them too. So he just figured out real fast. The Israelites know he's not one of them. He's not a slave like them. He doesn't make bricks all day long. He lives in the palace. But yet the people in the palace know they picked him up out of a basket. He's not one of them. And he's figured out he doesn't belong anywhere. And now the people that he thought he would impress by killing one of the Egyptians, they are afraid of him. The Egyptians are angry at him because he killed one and he runs. He doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know if he's Egyptian. He doesn't know if he's an Israelite. And God says, you're going to go set my people free. Well, first of all, they're, they're, they don't like me. And the people you want me to talk to, they want to kill me. Who am I? 
It's a fair question. He has no clue who he is, and his insecurity was well-deserved. But don't miss this. Yes, he messed up. Yes, he committed murder. He ran away from everything. He ran away from everyone. He ran away from God himself. I am sure beyond the shadow of a doubt, even though it's not written in scripture, that somebody at some point sat him down and said, hey, let me tell you how we found you. He had to know that he was the only person within a two-year age range, the only boy. He had to figure out something was special about him, and yet he still was running from everybody and still was running from God. I want you to hear this. I'm going to write it on the screen for you. The more disconnected you are from God, the more you will struggle with your identity. You will never be confident in who you are, what God's going to do through you when you are disconnected from who he is and what he's doing in your life. Now check this out, despite all of that, despite murder, despite having no one that you think you belong to, despite running away and hiding for 40 years, and you may not know this, he's 80 years old at this point, despite being what everybody else would consider done and washed up, God comes to him and says, look, I know who you are, and I've got something to do through you. I haven't given up on you. That's the Jimmy version. See, here's what some of you need to hear today. You are not too old for God to use you. You are not too done for God to use you. Some of you also need to know on the flip side of that, you are not too young. You are not too young for God to use you. The Bible says in 1 Timothy, don't let anybody look down on you because you were young. We think that there is some perfect little window. I'm too young, nobody can use me, I gotta wait, I gotta grow up, I'm just in the youth group, I'm just in college, I'm just this. Someday I'll be like 32 and maybe God can use me. And then somebody gets to 33 and says, I've made too many mistakes, it's too late for God to use me. And you think there's like this much opportunity and God says, no. I can use you if you are young. I can use you if you are old. And you think, okay, well, somewhere in there the age is fine, but I'm too messed up. This is somebody who committed murder. God says, I don't know about you, how you think you've messed up too much. You think you're too old. You think, you think you're too young, but I can use you. Somebody here needs to hear that today. You are not too old. You are not too young. And you are not too messed up. If God can use Moses, he can use you. And Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? <laughs> I love this. I love the play on words. Moses says, who am I? God answers with, I am who I am. You just say this to the people. I am has sent me to you. See, here's the deal. God's ultimate answer is you may not know who you are and that doesn't really matter because I know who I am. And it is not about who you are and what you think you can do. Your security doesn't come from you. Your security comes from me. You don't need the answer to the question, who am I? You need the answer to the question, I am who I am. It's all gonna be about me. And so he tells Moses everything that he's gonna do through him and everything that he's gonna do with him. And the truth is that should be enough, right? That should be enough for Moses. The story should have ended. He should have said, yes, sir. Loading up the, the donkey and the camels and we're heading off right now. That should have been enough. The story should be very different than it is. But it wasn't enough. And sadly, it never is, is it? We do the same thing Moses did. 
We just keep it coming with more questions and more excuses. We're actually, in just a few weeks, we're going to do our Ignite weekend. It's for our youth, and the entire focus of the weekend is answering this question and talking about God saying, I am who I am, and that's all you need to know. So if your teenager is, is, is wanting to know more about who God has for him, if you are a teenager and you are done looking at social media and thinking you're not good enough, you need to be a part of Ignite Weekend. So Moses did what we do, and he just starts with the excuses. Uh, well, God, uh, number one, we're in chapter four for those of you using your own Bibles. Then Moses answered, but behold, they won't believe me or listen to my voice for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. Let me get this straight. I'm not sure who you are. We haven't seen you in 40 years. We didn't like you then because you lived in the palace. Even if we do remember you, it'd probably be better if we don't remember that fact. But then you're gonna tell me that some God spoke to you out of a bush that didn't burn up even though it was on fire. <laughs> Yet Moses already figured out this sounds absolutely ridiculous, doesn't it? So God walks him through three miracles. All right, you're right. They're not going to believe you. So then you're going to do this and you're going to do that and you're going to do that. And then they're going to go, whoa, you are cool. That should have been enough. And again, it wasn't. Excuse number two. But Moses said to the Lord, verse 10, if you're keeping up here, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant. I wasn't eloquent 10 years ago. I wasn't eloquent 40 years ago. I wasn't eloquent five minutes ago. And you notice, since you started talking to me, it hasn't changed. I haven't gotten any better. And some of us do that. The minute that God speaks to us, we think that the circumstances in our life that we could be secure in instantly changes. And we look and go, well, God, I, I think you're telling me to do this, but I still don't think I'm capable. And it hasn't changed in the last five minutes. I'm, I'm slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. And I'm imagining that the, the voice of the Lord's getting a little more intense and a little louder here because the next thing that we're going to see in Scripture in a minute is that it says God was getting angry with him, right? So I'm, I'm just imagining, go. I mean, God is, he's kind of done with that. Now I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, but go. I mean, he's just kind of getting there. And you would think at that point, because this bush is probably getting louder, the voice is getting more intense. Maybe the fire is getting hotter. I don't really know that's just how I imagine the story going down once again I'd have been like okay load up the camels here we go but once again and this is really the epitome of all of his answers oh Lord just please not me just send somebody else I've accepted the fact I don't have a home I'm a murderer I'm 80 I'm done I know there was like this miraculous salvation at birth you did. I know there used to be something for me. I used to have dreams. I used to have hopes. I went out and I took it upon myself to kill that Egyptian, to deliver my people that day. I had a belief that I could lead and deliver them, but it didn't turn out the way I thought. And so that one time, I just, I set my dreams aside. If you would, just please, just move on. Seriously. Here's what you need to know. It doesn't matter what you think you can or can't do. Matter of fact, it doesn't matter what you actually can or can't do. The only thing that matters is if he made you and he called you, he can and will work through you. That's all we need to know. You see, God doesn't just work around our insecurities. He actually works through them. 
He actually loves the fact that there are things you can't do. He works through what you can't do to show up and do something amazing. We try to hide our insecurities. Funny story, not real proud of this, but I'm just gonna tell you the truth. One of the more deceptive moments of my life, but in my defense, it was when I was a teacher, not a pastor. So I've tried not to be too deceptive since becoming a, a pastor. But once a year as a band director, you have to take your band and sit them on a stage like this in an auditorium like that, but there are only three people in that whole room. Nobody else is in there. This is not a concert in your high school auditorium for the parents who go, oh, that's my little Johnny, you are so awesome, I love you, I love you. No, it's not that. This is where nobody claps for you. The only three people in the back of the room all have music degrees. They're called judges, and they have a copy of your music to circle every note you miss. It's not our favorite day. But it's the one day of the year where we get a rating, and it's the only rating. So it's like your Super Bowl or your national championship because the principal wants to know your rating when you get back home. And so there was this one year in particular, I wanted to get this good rating because the year before we did not get the rating that we wanted and, and everything was kind of riding on that. At least my ego was riding on it. We'll put it that way. How about that? And, and making my principal think I was a good band director and all that good stuff. And, and the problem is pretty much at this level, every song, just to find out if you are a good band, has an oboe solo. Don't ask me why, but it's what they do. And, and so the problem is my oboe player was very, very insecure. And part of the problem is because they had just started learning to play the oboe. You don't ever start on the oboe. I'm telling you stuff you really don't care about. But you switch to the oboe later if you were good at something like flute. So she had just switched to the oboe. She was not real confident to play in front of people, especially three judges with a copy of her music. And so although she was smart and she was brilliant and wonderful young lady, every time that we would get to the oboe solo in class, she would go... And, and that's exactly what would happen. And, uh, well, I came up with a way to work around her insecurity as well as to work around my insecurity. Had a cymbal player in the back of the room. His name was Brandon. I'll never forget because Brandon and I, we had a little scheme going on. So, Brandon, when I point at you, you just drop the cymbals, buddy. <laughs> Bam! Everyone. So we're just playing along, and we get to this young lady's oboe solo. She gets the first note, and I knew the second note. We weren't going to hear the second note. I point at Brandon, and there's this beautiful all in the back of the room, this hollow wooden floor just reverberates everywhere. And then he gets it, he picks them back up, and we're on to the trumpets again. It was beautiful. <laughs> it was great. That's what we do. And God says, no, play that oboe solo because when you mess that up, I get to show up. I'm going to do something amazing at your weakest moments. So what I want to help today is we're, le look, four really, really simple practical things. I mean, that's inspiring, but if you've been around here any time, you know, I, I like to just give you, like, what can you put your hands on? What can you grasp? How can you practically put this into your life? I'm going to give you four things. You decide if one of these or all four of them will help you practically deal with who am I when I don't measure up? And uh, these are, again, why we do our life groups. You're going to get together and talk about what God's doing in these four things for you. The first one is this. Don't put your identity in anything that can't sustain it. See, that's what Moses was doing. Moses was putting his identity and therefore his security in two things, two things he knew he didn't have. One was a skill. 
I can't talk. I'm not eloquent of speech. Don't send me to talk to Pharaoh. Are you kidding? Why would you send somebody who can't talk to talk to the ruler of the greatest people on the earth right now? That is just foolish. I don't have skills, so I'm insecure. And his second thing was people's approval. And he said, I don't have that either. Last time I talked to them, they were ready to kill me because I had killed somebody. No, listen, I don't have either of these things. I don't have talent and I don't have people's approval. and, And so I don't have any identity in which I could do what you've called me to do. Here's what I want you to know. People's approval will never sustain it. We do the exact same thing, by the way. We grab onto the same two things. People's approval can never sustain it. I, I stand up here and I'll have people come and meet me in the hallway after. Pastor, that was the most amazing sermon. Oh my gosh, I just love what you're saying. I love what you're doing. I'm going to come back next week. This is so amazing. And then sometime later, maybe six months later, maybe six years later, maybe three weeks later, Pastor, I'm sorry to tell you, I'm just not feeling fed by the messages here anymore. What? Come on, what was it? You had tears in your eyes like three weeks ago. I don't know, I'm just telling you. How about your Instagram? You get a thousand likes today and you're like, da-da-da, amazing, you know, that kind of thing. Somebody loves what you're doing. And then the next day you put out a picture you didn't notice, but there was, as you're just doing your innocent little selfie, you didn't see there was like a a protest going on in the background and there's a sign back there and everybody thinks now you're political and you're promoting that and everybody hates you and you get blasted by 10,000 comments. And now look, people's approval, even if it's with you today, it may not be tomorrow. You better not ever base your identity on what other people are thinking or saying. How about your talent? Your talent can't sustain it. Look, here's the deal. We, we can't measure up in every area. I mean, you're, there's no way you can be good at everything. The best advice I can give you today is accept the fact you suck at something. <laughs> that was supposed to come out slightly differently, but that's okay. And don't let it get you down. I mean, I'm just as serious as I can be. If you honestly think you can get an A-plus at everything, at every talent, at every job, at every area of your life, well, then that's why you feel like God couldn't use you. Go ahead and accept the fact. You know what? I used to be a worship pastor, and I can't sing a lick. In tune, that is. And instead of trying and saying, somebody give me a microphone, I'm going to prove to you I can overcome this weakness. I just said, Linda, you better sing, girl. (laughs) That's the way it was because I can't sing in tune. And that's okay because I just don't do that. I preach. See what I'm saying? If you stop trying to, to, to live your identity in something that you're not good at, you can actually figure out what you are good at. Don't tell, by the way, that was not a chance for you to go, you hadn't figured it out yet, Jimmy. <laughs> I don't need to. How about number two? Let your weakness become God's strength. Here's what Paul said. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. See, there was something. We don't know. We've never known. People have debated for 2,000 years what the, the thorn in his side is what he called it, what it might have been. We don't know. I don't know why people speculate. People have written books speculating about what it was, but if it's not in the Bible, we don't know. But three times he said, God, please make me strong. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul's answer was, okay, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with my weakness. You see, we see our weakness as liabilities, as limits, as excuses, as reasons for failure. God sees our weakness as opportunities. 
Today, you got to make a choice. Do you want to focus on what you can't do? Or do you want to focus on what he can do? Because every one of us is weak somewhere. And we can decide to let God show up and work through us. It's a simple choice. Is it going to be me giving my best? Or is it going to be me walking in the door knowing he's going to give his best because I don't have it? And I want to tell you, when we figure that out, when we begin to let God use our weakness to do something amazing, everything changes. How about this one, number three? Submit what you think and say about yourself to the truth of God's word. If you were here just, uh, I think, two, three weeks ago, somewhere, somewhere about that, we were in a series called First, and we talked about areas of our life to put God first. And, and one of those, I think one of the, the key messages of that series was put God first in our thinking. Put God first in our thinking. And just as we're saying right here, submit what you think and say, we explain then that what we say is just a result of what we think. And so we do kind of have to, to put a little pause on what we say at first, you know, try to put that little time delay in there. For those of you that are like my age and older, you can remember the Super Bowl uh, that had the wardrobe malfunction. You guys remember that story? Yeah, we still don't know about that. But anyway, here's what has been the consequence of that ever since is now we don't see live TV anymore. We see live TV minus like five seconds or something because they've got to have a chance to, to filter out something. And some of us need to learn to talk the same way they show live TV. <laughs> like you need to say it with your lips closed, listen and go, yeah, no, I'm not going to open my lips on that one. <laughs> but remember, as we said, that's only the starting point. Because we don't really need all of those things bottled up in our mouth. What we need to do is shut them down up here. We need to learn to make sure that what's going on up here is what God says, not what the world says, and not what we think about ourselves. That's why here's what the Bible says in Romans 12. Don't think you are better than you really are. Oh, oh and some people go, okay, okay, yeah, I think I'm horrible. I'm no good. God could never use me. Well, then he finishes. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measuring yourselves by the faith God has given you. See, here's the thing. Don't think about how good you are is where it started. And it went on to say, and don't think about how bad people say you are. Think only about what God says about you and who you are, according to the measure of the faith God has given you. Yeah, Moses, they don't like you. Yeah, Moses, the Egyptians want to kill you. Yeah, Moses, you can't talk. So just focus on what I'm calling you to do and judge yourself by the faith you have in me to show up with you. Measure yourself according to that. Have a sober judgment about who you are. Be honest in your evaluation. You want to know the secret? Our insecurities, they all begin right here. All of our securities begin right here. You see, it's either what we think about our weaknesses that make us insecure, or it's what we think about ourselves that make us feel like we don't measure up. Our insecurities always come from how we see ourselves, not from how God sees us. No one has ever been insecure from hearing what God says about them. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that every single one of us was individually, uniquely crafted by God. The Bible uses the word workmanship. It was not an assembly line. It was not a little dropper with like human, 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 human. That was not the way it was. It was a Brian. It was a Steve. It was a Laura. It was an Anna Carol. It was very individual and unique. 
And that is who God has called us to be. According to that measure of faith is what we should look at. I don't care what I think of me. I don't care what people say about me. The only thing that matters is God made me to do something. And that's who I'm going to be. That's what I'm going to do. Number four, focus more on what God is doing in you than what others think or say about you. See, if you want to be the most secure person in the room, stop being the center of your attention. If you want to be the most secure person in the room, you've got to stop thinking about yourself. This may baffle you if you see me do this every week, but I spent most of my life struggling with incredible insecurity. If you knew me in high school, I was the one who always thought someone didn't like me. I was the one that avoided parties because I didn't want to be in a room full of people. I was the last person who would ever do do what I'm doing right now. And when I knew God had called me to this, it, it took some time. When I first began preaching, because I was thinking, what, what is everybody in the room going to think of me? Am I going to have anything good to say? Is anybody going to say amen at any point? Or are they just going to sit there and stare at me like I'm stupid? And eventually, God began to show me. It wasn't about me. You see, people every week are going to go, Pastor, you are so funny. Let me tell you the truth. I never write one funny remark or joke in my notes. Point proven. I read my notes and I think, what is anybody going to get out of this? And I used to be afraid. Like if I take the stage and I begin to, to like talk, is this even going to make sense? Am I going to remember what I'm doing? I mean, And then God showed up and I walked off stage and said, kill me now. One week down, let's go to heaven. Everybody will think good things of me. I'm just being honest. See, the truth is there's a story in the Bible that reminds me of how I preach. It's of Jonathan and he was a little frustrated. They weren't getting anything done in the the battle. And he just says to his armor bearers, hey, I got an idea. Let's just go over there. And uh, perhaps God will be with us. If not, we'll die, but it doesn't really matter. You know, just maybe God will show up. And you may not know this, but every week, right before I walk up those steps backstage, I just go, well, Holy Spirit, maybe you'll come along. Because I, I don't have anything. I, I don't want to be in front of a crowd. You may think I love doing it. I, I don't want to be in front of a crowd. I don't like crowds. I don't go to theme parks on Saturdays. We go on Wednesdays. I don't, I, I don't do social media because I, I, you know, I just don't want to be out there in front of people. And yet, look what God's called me to do. And the beauty of that is that I can't think about me. I can't stand here and say, wonder what Teresa thinks of me today. I, I can't do that. So every week I come out here and I think about what God can do. I just heard, you bet, this is cool, six people last week gave their lives to Jesus. We're at 27 for 2019. So I've just, I've just agreed with God. God, I'm just going to come out here and I'm going to be me. 
better for worse. Sometimes they're going to laugh. Sometimes they're going to point. So far, nobody's thrown anything, and I appreciate that. But if we, if we'll stop worrying about what will they think about me? Will I do a good job? You know what? God will let you do a bad job sometimes just to break that in you. I've had times when I first started doing this a lot, I would walk off stage and go, that wasn't very good, hoping the person beside me would go, oh, no, that was awesome, Pastor. And they went, that's all right, there's next week. <laughs> and you're going to have to decide, are you going to just let go of trying to impress people? And you're just going to do whatever God's put in you. It's the best thing I can tell you. If you want to be secure, don't think about you. Don't think about how good you could be. Don't think about how bad you expect to be. Don't even think about you. You just think about what God's going to do if you just go over that hill. Perhaps God will be with us. <laughs> you see, here's the thing. God uses people who are in touch with the reality they don't measure up. It's one of the biggest lies of the enemy. God uses awesome people. No, God uses people who know they don't measure up. There's a guy named Paul who used to be the number one killer among Christians. And yet somehow he ended up writing the majority of our New Testament and was given the commission to go and reach all of the non-Jews, which arguably was the largest mission of all the apostles. There was a guy named Peter who had been at the right hand of Jesus. Out of the 12, he was among the three. Out of the three, he was the one. He was the closest. He was at Jesus' right hand. And yet, just to keep his stupid little body alive, he denied Jesus at his worst moment. And yet, Jesus, after he was resurrected, restored him, put him back in charge of his sheep. And Peter also got to write part of our scripture. There was a guy named David who was a murderer, an adulterer, a dysfunctional father, and half of the time a dysfunctional leader. And yet, he got to write most of our Psalms and was the king of God's people. And despite all that, God said, he's a man after my own heart. The Bible is filled with stories. History is full of stories of God using people who know they don't measure up. So I'm going to end very differently today. I'm going to put you on the spot. If you know that in some area of your life, you don't measure up, I want you to raise your hand. If you know that in some area of life, you will only succeed by the miraculous grace of God that it is left to you, you will never succeed. I want you to put your hand up. Because I'm going to pray for everybody whose hand is up right now. God, I thank you so much. I thank you so much that you are a good God who does amazing things for his inadequate children. That you will use us despite our brokenness. That you will use us despite whatever it is in us that is weak. Whatever it is that causes us to be insecure that you will do amazing things. And God, I pray right now for every person in this room who's holding up their hands, those who are too insecure to hold up their hands. God, I pray for them right now that the lies of the enemy will be broken off of them and they will believe that despite their imperfections, their God in heaven, their heavenly Father who created them will and can use them for great things to reach this world. 
right now I speak faith to every one of you in the name of Jesus. Believe God made you, God has called you, and God will use you. Amen. 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 I want to close by talking to those of you that have never given your life to Jesus. As we said earlier in the message, we wrote it on the screen, big, bold letters. You will never be secure. You will never have your identity when you are separated from God. The very thing that you want requires letting Jesus be your king. Saying, God, I want to be one of your children. Not just a human created God by God, but being one of God's children. Whatever language you want to use, if it's making Jesus your King, your Lord and Savior, whatever, it doesn't matter what that language is here this morning. The good news, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or come down front, but right where you are seated, I'm going to lead you in a conversation with him. Would you all join me? Pray. Say something like this to yourselves and God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now I want to live for you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness. And my simple prayer here today is that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.